What happens when two parent coaches, one a Christian and the other an agnostic Jew, sit down to talk about parenting? They take their listeners from surviving to thriving. I'm Dina Thayer. And I'm Kira Dorian. Welcome to Raising Adults, a podcast brought to you by Future Focused Parenting. Hello, everyone. We're so glad you're with us today. It's Kira and Dina here, Raising Adults. And I'm particularly looking forward to today's episode because we get to hear some great wisdom from Kira. She is going to share with us just some fabulous ideas about laying that future-focused mentality from the start, meaning even before your little person arrives. So we're going to talk about preparing for parenthood today. And how do you go about that? How do you set some goals and priorities? How do you work well together as a team if you're parenting with a partner? And just how you can set yourself up well to do this even in advance, which is essentially what we're all about. We know that sometimes we're making changes on the fly, but whenever we can, we love to pave the way in advance and lay a strong foundation. So what better way to do that than talk through some of these things while you're still expecting? And I know you have a lot of wisdom to share with us, so I'm going to get ready to be quiet and let you wow us. Oh my gosh, I'm sure you have tons of wisdom to share too. But maybe you can just start with telling us a little bit about how this became important to you. Yeah, I think, you know, I've talked on the podcast time and time again about the fact that becoming a parent really knocked me for six. Like it 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 was like getting sucker punched. That's kind of how I've described it. And it took a long time for me to come out of that funk. Um, and I just remembered feeling, I mean, I was a childbirth educator and feeling like, man, we spend so much time preparing couples, you know, for their birth. And that's a day. And we spend no time preparing them for parenthood. And I wished that someone had spent more time setting my husband and I up for success on the other side. Um, And I also think I have been struck by how many couples I know, even some of the strongest couples I know, Dave and myself included. I mean, we were together seven years before the kids were born um, and were really a, a pretty rock solid couple. And you were a well-oiled machine yeah, by then. I mean, we were. And it really took the wind out of our sails. So I think that there's there's just something to be said for asking some questions, having some conversations, kind of like premarital counseling makes a ton of sense. Like before you get married, like I hope you have a great, beautiful wedding and it doesn't rain, but I care a lot more about your marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I think that preparing for parenthood is just something not enough couples are doing. And so it's something I coach and that I'm very passionate about because from my own experience, I was like, there are actually some conversations that should have been had that would be so easy to have if couples just knew, hey, I need to talk about this before I have a baby, not while I have a crying baby in my arms. That is not the best time to be figuring your stuff out. No. No. And I'm so glad you mentioned all the prep we put into birth. And you and I are all for that. Mm -hmm. But the parenthood part lasts a lot longer. And it is similar to a wedding. A lot of people take so much effort planning the wedding and don't give as much thought to the marriage. So this is absolutely critical. And there are conversations you can be having in advance. So are you going to share with us some of those? I am. I want to hear. Yeah. So there are sort of three major things I want to talk about today. And I'm going to go out of order because when I'm coaching, this is not the order I do them in. But for the sake of the podcast, I want to go in order from what I think is the most important thing. Like if if people only did this one thing, mm-hmm. I would 
feel like they got something today. Um, to some of the other things that I think are really important. But okay. I don't lead with this particular thing because obviously I'm getting to know the couple. We're kind of starting out with some things that are more about setup. And this to me is just core. This is like a key thing. So the first thing I would say is for individually, everyone to get very clear. And so single parents can do this too. Get very, very clear on what are the things that are going to look different once you have a baby. Down to getting your hair done in the morning, Mm. taking a shower, grocery shopping, cleaning your house, answering your emails, me time, sex if you have a partner. Like a lot of couples just don't Don't think think about about that. that. Is my sex life going to change? It is, by the way. Spoiler alert. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So so I think that this this is something that if everybody sat down and made a list of like, all the things, and I will tell you, it is all those things I just listed and more. Do you have pets? How are you going to walk the dog? Um, how are you going to um, keep your house clean if that's important to you? Do you like to read? When are you going to read? Um, if fitness is important to you, when are you going to work out? If you sat down and just got really honest for 20 minutes with yourself and said, what are some of the things that I may have to rethink, that I may have to figure out how am I going to do that now, and that I may have to let go of for a short time? And just made a list. Like I get couples to just like barf it out, make Mm -hmm. a list of everything. Then I go through the list and I add things because, like I said, they never have sex on there ever. Um, And things like going to the bathroom. Oh, my goodness. I remember coaching this one couple. They were going to have twins. And I said, well, have you given any thought to if you're alone with the babies, like if you need to have a bowel movement, how you're going to do that? And the dad was like, well, I'm just going to go do that. And I was like, oh, so if you're holding two babies, one in each arm, what are you going to wipe with? And he was like, well, I'll just put them down. And I was like, if they're screaming, do you think you're going to feel comfortable putting them down? And he was like, well, and it was just this like long pause of realization mm-hmm. that like I'm not even going to be able to poop when I want to. Right. But it's true. I had a friend who said your to do list is going to be shower, poop, question mark. Um, and I think that's really true. So. I like for people to just sit down and get honest because I think we have a tendency to be like, oh, I'm going to be fine. I'm going to be able to take care of a newborn, clean the house, and have dinner on the table for my partner when they get home. And I think that it's not that that's impossible. I don't want to say there aren't people that are able to do that, but it's rare. And I think we lull ourselves into a little bit of a false um, sense of security that we're going to be able to do all that. And then we're shocked, shocked and Mm -hmm. appalled. And then we're, boy, we're beating ourselves up and, oh, I'm such a failure because I can't get in, blah, blah, blah. There's such a spiral here. I could spend the whole episode on it. I'm not going to. So sitting down and putting aside what you hope it'll look like and going to worst case scenario, what's going to be hard here? And then if you have a partner, to sit down with your partner and compare your lists and look at your lists and maybe they have something on theirs you didn't think about. Maybe there's something on yours that they're concerned about. And then I like for them to put it into... Put everything on the list into three categories. So there's things I will prioritize. We're going to talk about that in a second. Things I can delegate. And I always joke, don't put sex on that list. (laughs) No one will benefit from that. (laughs) And things I will let go of for now. And for now to me means anywhere from the first six weeks to the first six months to a year. It just kind of depends on the family. Mm -hmm. Are there multiples? What's the situation? Blah, blah, blah. And the things I will prioritize list, I always say should be no more than five things totaling no more than half an hour because there are some days where you might only have 30 minutes 
for yourself. So I want my people to be crystal clear on what they're going to do in that 30 minutes so that there's not like, oh, I farted around and I made a Mm -hmm. cup of coffee and now my 30 minutes are done and the baby woke up. I want them to know that baby went down. This is when I get on my treadmill. This is when I read my book. This is when I do that thing that makes me feel like me so that your needs are getting met in that time. Your real critical, crucial who I am needs are still getting met every single day. Yeah, because you've got to keep being a person and not have that get lost in being a parent. And I love that you mentioned how many details there are, because I think even the people who aren't lulled into this complacency of like, it's going to be great, might only think of these big, obvious things like, well, sleep will be different or having a routine will be different or getting out the door in the morning will be harder and might not have thought about using the restroom or some of these smaller things like cooking or walking the dog, right? Yeah. And I say say to women all the time, because they'll they'll put like getting ready in the morning as one thing. And I'm like, oh, no, we're going to break that down. You wash your face, you brush your teeth, you do your hair, you do your makeup. Like these are now four things. And that could get interrupted at any any point. point. And here's the other thing. 30 minutes isn't very long. Now, there's going to be lots of days where you get more than that done. But again, when we boil it down to, wow, this was one of those crazy days where I only had 30 minutes, I for sure want to make sure that you're using those 30 minutes to fuel you and fill you. Mm -hmm. So I want you crystal clear on what are the things that make me me that happen in 30 minutes or less. So no more than five things totaling no more than 30 minutes total. So you might only have two things on there if they each take 15 minutes. Right. That makes sense. And each partner should do this. And then here's what happens with this list. You share them with each other. Honey, you know what ended up being on my list was a shower and 10 minutes of reading every day. And your partner goes, oh, okay, well, I can get up 30 minutes early every morning before I go to work and be with the baby so that you can get your shower and your reading done before I go to work. Like, this is such a simple thing. But if you have never had this conversation, guess what happens? Partner gets up and goes to work with no knowledge, no knowledge that you've needed this. That you are not having a need met. Right. Right? No knowledge. And so they're not being yucky or stinkers. They're just, they don't know. Because guess what? You haven't communicated it. And, but that doesn't mean it won't breed resentment. Exactly. Well, this is what I was getting to. You're so smart. So then what happens is partner goes off to work. Mom's been home all day, does not get the needs met. And partner comes home, do-do-do, from work, probably exhausted, excited to see their little one. And mom's pissed. Yeah. Like super pissed because she's been home all day. And this is how couple resentment starts. It really does start here. Same with the partner. If the mom, the stay-at-home mom, I should say, or breastfeeding mom or whoever you want to call it, or or the dad that's staying home, I mean, this can look a thousand different ways. But if the stay-at-home partner, the primary caregiver, is – not aware of what their partner needs, they also can't meet their needs. Now, here's the thing. When Dave got up 15 minutes early every morning so I could have a shower, I was so much more inclined when he got home to give him what he needed, which was he's an introvert. So he came home. He had to go into our room for 10 minutes and just transition. Like, he Mm. couldn't come in and be super dad. He had to come and adjust to now I'm in this role. Right. Preferably with a beer in his hand. So... Imagine, though, imagine if we had never had, and this is something we did really, really well because we actually had this conversation before. If we had not had this conversation, he would have gotten up, gone to work. I would be unshowered and just an unimaginable human being because I must shower. It's so important to me. Um, And then when he got home and helped himself to a beer and went into the bedroom, 
how would that make me feel? I'd be furious, of right? Of course. But because we had this conversation, he was meeting my needs in the morning and I was making sure to meet his. Because that does go the other way too. If you didn't know and he came home and you hand him not one but two screaming babies, he's going to be resentful. Exactly. So this is a fabulous way to set up from the get-go, hey, everyone's needs are going to be compromised. How can we support each other so that everyone feels loved and heard and seen and is getting their needs met? And you know what I love about this is this is exactly what we talk about. This is being proactive rather than reactive. Yeah, this is a preventative tool to minimize, if not eliminate, some of that frustration that can build just because there's been a lack of communication about what the needs are. A hundred percent. So that's the first category, things I will prioritize, and that's how we use that first category. Second category is things I will delegate. This is things initially that you can delegate. You're not going to delegate them forever, but initially someone else could go grocery shopping Mm -hmm. for you. Someone else could cook for you. Someone else could tidy the house for you. And so you make a list. And I had a um, one of my hypnomothering practitioners that I taught had a great word for this. She called it the cuddle list. And she said, no one can cuddle the baby till they've done something on this list. And we talked about this when we were on the news that, you know, when you go to visit someone with a new baby, everyone wants to help. But everyone's level of comfort with participating in household stuff is different. So Um, true. And oftentimes new parents are so overwhelmed that they feel like they can't say they don't even know what they need. Whereas if you have preventatively and, you know, proactively put a a list list on the fridge and and people say, hey, what can I do? And you say, hey, there's a list on the fridge. Do anything you're comfortable with. We'd be so grateful. Boom. Again, you're getting needs met in a way that empowers your friends and family and helps you get things done and everyone wins. And you're not having to try to generate a thought process when you just get asked off the cuff. How can I help you? So many people can't do that when they have a new baby. I couldn't. I was like, just sit here and talk with me. And I just wish someone had been like, I'm cleaning your fridge now or whatever. (laughs) So that's the second list. And again, all this is coming from that initial first list that you make of everything that's going to be swirling and different. And then I say everything else goes on the things I need to let go of for now. This is about readjusting both of your expectations. Because this is the other thing. The partner who goes to work and comes home and doesn't see what's happening, even if the stay-at-home partner is just on maternity or paternity leave and it's a short period of time, it's still completely different than what's happening out in the work world. Mm -hmm. So they come home and they have no sense of what that day has been like. And so what this does is set up from the get-go, let's lower, let's dramatically lower our expectations. We are in survival mode. I mean, this is the ultimate survival mode is when you have a baby. So let's get really clear on what that's going to look like. It means that these things we prioritize are going to get done. And these things that we delegate are hopefully going to get done. And the rest of it might have to be let go of for a little while. And that's okay. And I always say to couples, pull out the list on baby's first birthday and check off all the things that have come back to you because so many of them will have either come back to you or you won't care about them anymore. Mm-hmm. You may have really been able to let them go permanently. Exactly. Who knows? Exactly. <laughs> so that's the first exercise. And then sort of off the back of that, the second part 2B is, um, <laughs> or 1B is I also – absolutely think if you do nothing else, if you have no other conversation, even if you don't have this conversation, please discuss what everyone's job overnight is going to be. And let me be perfectly clear that everyone has a a job overnight. Here's what I don't want to hear from couples I work with. But my partner works all day. So do you. And your boss is cranky. They are not very nice. And they are messy. And they're not easily pleased. (laughs) And you will be doing things over and over on repeat all day and feel like you've achieved nothing. So So everyone's going to work in the morning. So let's just put that to the side. 
That's number one. Number two, the reason for overnight help is that when partners participate, they learn the nuance of their baby. It increases bonding with the partner. And it also means that when partner comes home from work, baby's throwing a fit, and mom just desperately wants to give over the baby, guess what? The partner knows how to soothe the baby because yes. the partner's been up at night. Right. Now, here's the other thing I don't want to hear. But she has the boobs. Yes. She does. Unfortunately, overnight, many things happen that do not involve boobage. Many things Here's besides things eating a partner. Here's things that the partner can do. The partner can wash bottles if they're doing a bottle feed. The partner can transport pumped milk. The partner can soothe the baby, change the baby, mm -hmm. put the baby back down, find the pacifier that fell out, run a load of laundry, fold a lot of laundry. Actually, you don't need boobs to do those things. So... All of these things can happen. I love shift work. I talk with um, partners and couples about this all the time, the idea of splitting your night in yes. half um, so that someone, each person gets a chunk of sleep. That doesn't work for everyone. Some nursing moms really do want to be up and they want that closeness. But also the partner can bring the baby. Yeah. And mom can nurse while still snoozing. And then they take the baby and whisk them away. And there's so many things. But here's the other thing that happens overnight. And I know Nancy talked about this on her episode. Again, we feel like we're working as a team. The resentment I see with couples that builds and builds and builds almost always stems from the overnights. Every single time. And this is an area where I'm just going to shout out to my husband. He was freaking amazing. He was up every single night. We did shift work. He was a rock star. And whether that would have happened or not, because if there was one baby, I still think that was his nature. But with two babies, it was like, you don't have a choice. Everyone's got to muck in here. This is non-negotiable. Yeah. But what happens with one baby is it becomes very easy for the partner to say, well, she has the boobs and, oh, he has to work in the morning. And we get into this nasty cycle. And then what happens is mom is up all night, every night, and the partner is snoring for eight hours. And there is nothing that breeds resentment more at 2 o'clock in the morning than someone else sleeping. So I really, really encourage couples, figure out the needs, figure out how you're going to meet each other's needs, and then look at overnights and figure out how can we be a team overnight. We are a family. This is not just one person's job. This is both people's babies. And as I like to say, the only person who should be well-rested in the first months of baby's life is the, the baby. baby. So everyone should be tired and bleary-eyed in the morning. That's right. And I was nodding vigorously because as a sleep consultant, I see this all the time. Right. There has to be teamwork around this. And if only one person is doing it, they're going to be more tired and then they're going to be frustrated. And it just doesn't go well for anyone. And I also love that you did some myth busting and crushed those assumptions that, oh, I can't help because I'm going to work in the morning or I can't help. I'm not the nursing person. Well, it's so true that there's still plenty that you can help with. And even for families where maybe the, the shift doesn't work, you can still divide the duties. Mm -hmm. Maybe that nursing mom, it is really important that she's breastfeeding, but dad can do all the other stuff. Or I can bring you the baby and then change their diaper and your only job is feeding. There's still ways to do that. So I could not agree more. I'm so glad you addressed it, but I also have a question. Sure. So what happens when the mind is willing, but the body is weak. And ah, you get like a super heavy sleeper and they aren't waking up and it's their turn. And then mm. you get a frustration around that. And I'm just wondering what advice you give to couples for how do you actually implement this if maybe the person is really happy to help out, but there is a physiological 
speed bump or even another speed bump that that comes their way. I think that's a great idea. So I think, first of all, it, it, it starts with talking about it before. We all know what kind of sleeper we are. We know if I, you can't raise me from the dead, you know, that you're, that you're probably not going to wake up to the alarm. So either looking at preventatively discussing what are the things that will work or having that partner do the front shift. So maybe mom goes down early, like 9 o'clock, gets a good chunk of sleep so that when she wakes up for the midnight or the 1 o'clock shift, she's on the rest of the time, but she's had a break. Mm -hmm. Um, So looking at things like that. And then if there's some unforeseeable speed bump that like, wow, I had no idea that that was me in the middle. You know, me, right? We knew I was grumpy in the middle of the night, (laughs) but wow, we really discovered just how grumpy. Um, You know, if there's some, I don't know, somebody gets like violent in the middle of the night when they're woken or something unforeseeable. Then we reassess and and have a conversation. But again, it's so much harder to have those conversations on the other side. So true. So much better to look at possible what ifs on this side, have a plan in place. You may never need that plan, but at least you know that there's one in place. So basically, this is license to, if you need to, be diagnostic, but try to be preventative first, like we always talk about. And then if an issue comes up, yeah, diagnose it and see if you need to make a course correction. Exactly. But then you're only diagnosing that one thing instead of going, why are we a mess? Right. Why are we miserable? Why do we hate each other? You at least already have a plan. And now part of implementing it is maybe going awry, but it's not no plan at all. Right, exactly. And here's the other thing that's important with the plan. Um, I see too often, um, and I do think this is changing, but I still see it a lot. I see a lot where because some things weren't discussed, um, one partner is really unwilling to change or unwilling to make the necessary changes to help the other partner feel better. Um, You know, they've got it pretty good, maybe. Maybe they're sleeping through the night every night, and they don't really want to change that. What's great about having this plan in place is it's a lot easier to make someone stick to something they agreed to. Yes. So so if you and I see that with couples where I can tell that one of the partners is a little more submissive, a little less likely to be vocal about what they need. Mm. So much more important. Let's talk about it now. Let's have an agreement and a plan. It's a lot easier to say, hey, you agreed to this. Why isn't this happening than it is to try and create an agreement in a situation that's not working. So that's sort of the first thing that I wanted to cover. But like I said, without question, the most important. Like if couples do nothing else. Do that. Do that. Um, The second thing is the thing I like to start with. So the thing I like to start with when I'm working with a couple is I like for them to look at who is the person they're trying to raise. The adult. Like we talk about, Here's right? the future focus. What do we want that to look like? I like them to boil it down to one word or phrase or concept. That can be kind of hard, and so I'm not like a stickler about it. Um, but really, like, if you were going to raise your kid to be one thing, what would it be? And everybody's answer is different. It's kind of fun. I love it. I've had couples who said thankful, kind, happy, funny, smart, successful. I mean, like, it's a gambit, and there's not a right or wrong answer here. But once we have a clear idea of, like, I want my child to be this, I want to raise this adult, then we can take some steps back and go, okay, first and foremost, what does that phrase, word, concept mean to you? So for us, for me, if if I was answering this question, I would say, I want to raise happy adults. Okay, I want them to be happy in the world. So when I take steps back and I look at that, and Dave and I talk about that, what does it mean to be happy? What has that looked like for you in the past? How do you define it? How have you personally experienced it? Then we ask, well, what steps do I need to take as a parent 
to raise that happy adult? What does that look like? And so one of the things that's kind of interesting for us with the word happy, because I know we're going to, we keep saying we're going to talk about this, but we need to, the difference between happy and joy and happy and content and all these different nuances. So for me, I think it's easy for people to hear the word happy to think that, that means I want, I want to make my kids happy all the time. I don't. I actually want adults who understand how to be happy mm. and find happiness in their day to day. Even in times where things are hard, they still know how to find their joy and find their happiness. So that means that actually for me, setting boundaries is really important because it sure would be an unhappiness if they got out into the world mom gave them everything they ever wanted yeah. and now oh crap the world doesn't do that that's going to be a rude awakening yeah so part of raising children that know how to be happy is setting those boundaries so that they can find joy even when they don't get what they want the other thing we do a lot of in our family is point out happy moments because i think that not enough people actually notice when they're happy i think they blow past that and they mm -hmm. focus on when they're not so that's an example so what does it look like for you this concept or phrase how do you, what are the steps you have to take as a parent to implement that? And then how will you know you're being successful? What are the markers you're going to be looking for to say this I'm on I'm on track? I also like it when um, families zoom out of that a little bit and go into and we kind of talked about this on the Mom with a capital M episode. What do you want it to look like? What do you want your family to be doing? What's important to you? Is it, are you hikers? Are you skiers? Do you want to take a lot of vacations? Do you want to be curled up with books together? Do, are, do you love the movies? you want to be going to the movies? Like really almost imagine, what do I want my parenting journey to look like as I raise this human? What are the steps I need to take to, to do that? There. What yeah. are the markers of success? Again, so that we never, I, it's like we talk about all the time, I never want people to go in underwater. I think there's a period of surviving, mm -hmm. but I want them to move to thriving so fast and so quickly. And so this is a way to do that. If you have a clear picture of what you're trying to do, what you're trying to achieve, who you want your person to be, that doesn't mean they have to match that perfectly. And you might change this along the way. This is not set in stone, but this is giving a framework and a parameter to what you're hoping to achieve so that as you move forward in your parenting journey, you keep checking back on that. It's basically what you and I talk about all the all time. time. So that's number two. And number three is... Also, I think extremely important. I mean, I basically picked three of what I think are the most important things of what I do when I'm working with couples. Number three is to talk in advance about what are you going to do when you disagree? Because we've talked about it. The parenting on the same page thing yes. can be derailing in a family. It can cause resentment. It can cause frustration. It can cause divorce when people just feel like I can't, we're not on the same page here. I don't want to co-parent with this person anymore. So how can we look at Areas we might disagree. So one of the things I talk about is like, talk about how you think you're going to discipline your kid. Make sure you're on the same page there. Um, but what are we going to do when we don't? How are we going to handle that? Are you going to push pause on the conversation and go remove yourselves and talk about it privately until you can get on the same page? What are you going to do if you feel like the other person's undermining you? Because that often happens without intention. Sure. Um, so how are you going to communicate about that? Setting up really smart communication tools and best practices so that when you're in the moment, you know what to do. It's just like we just had an earthquake here in Washington, and it was a great reminder that I hadn't done an earthquake drill with my kids for a long time. So we did an earthquake drill. Like it, It's what they say. People who are prepared, people who have practiced, they know what to do. They're actually the more likely to survive in a, in a disaster mm -hmm. are the people who've practiced. This is the same thing. We want to prevent disaster, but when disaster strikes and, hey, we don't agree, we want to know that you know what to do yeah. and you know how you're going to handle that. So these are just like three things that I do when I'm coaching prenatally to get couples to really start thinking about 
Oh, because a lot of people have just never. This is like brand new information. Absolutely. Like, oh, I never even thought about that. I thought it was going to be unicorns and rainbows, you know. Or I didn't think about how talking about those needs would actually set us up for success. I just never thought about that. Can you talk about that for a second? Because before we wrap up, I think it is important to emphasize what you just said. And that is sometimes you don't know what you don't know until you're in it. So I'm guessing we have listeners who've already had a baby and like, didn't do this in advance and realized, wow, some of these areas didn't go well, would you say there's room for, oh, right, if you get pregnant again, let's do this then? How do how do people approach it who maybe didn't get it right the first time? Well, I think if you didn't get it right the first time and you're going to have another baby, absolutely. Like, we can totally flesh the same stuff out. Um, I also think that even if you're not going to have another baby and you get to a point where you hear that and you're like, gosh, I didn't even think about that. Like, there's, it's never too late to have these conversations. It's just harder. Mm-hmm. It's just harder when you're on the other side. But in communication, communication, communication. This is why we love therapists. This is why we love couples counselors. This is why we love Nancy. Like, if you are on the other side of this and going, oh, shoot, that's the time to seek that help because we want you to fix it. We want you to make it better. We want you to go from that feeling of surviving to thriving. Yes, and get unstuck. Yeah. We don't want anyone stuck in a resentment cycle or feeling frustrated with their partner. That's important. Exactly. And this is why I I mean, this is why I love this aspect of the coaching that we do, because to me, it's like you're actually preventing the need for help later down the line. Mm-hmm. When it's harder to get, you have to get childcare. Like these are just simple conversations. And it, you said exactly what my mom always said. You don't know what you don't know. And you don't. And that's okay. That's not your fault. You don't know. I did not know either until I had a baby. But seeking out help from someone who actually does know some of the things that you can be talking to and like doing some of that early work. It's just so important. And I will tell you that that needs-based thing, the list making, mm-hmm. I hear from couples time and time again. Like that was one of the most useful pieces of information we had our entire pregnancy was having that conversation. We felt so much more set up and we were watching our friends struggle and we were like, we're not having that problem because we had that conversation. Yes, yes. They're able to actually tackle something without having to tackle it because they talked about it in advance. Mm-hmm. So it's so smart. So of course, there's much more about this in your book. And Kira has written a whole workbook about this called Future Focused Parents to Be. Why don't you tell us a little bit about, A, where can they find it? Because you can get it really easily, everybody. And just what they can expect from that, because it's really fantastic and fleshes this out a lot more than we've been able to do in just half an hour. Yeah. I mean, basically, it's like there's like stages. So there's like this little podcast, and then there's the workbook, and then there's the coaching. And everything's kind of built on it, right? So the workbook's like a mini version of the coaching, and the podcast is a mini version of the workbook. Um, But the workbook is basically a series of questions that I think parents should be discussing before they have a baby. And there's then note sections and places to like flesh things out and talk about things. Um, And it's divided into three categories. So it's divided into um, the first category is all about like setting up the family values and the family system. Second category is all about those first few months and like what that's going to look like. And then the third one is all the months thereafter. And what's what does the long term look like? And it looks at everything from what I've discussed today to how are you going to handle family members that you disagree with? How are you going to handle discipline? I give some discipline scenarios like talk about here's three examples of where you may have to discipline a child. What would you do? And maybe you're on the same page, maybe you're not, but that's actually really informative. Mm-hmm. Um, to uh, how are you going to handle the big questions like 
faith or um, death or, you know, some of these big topics that are going to come up. Um, so it's just it's just filled with everything that I think that couples should be asking. Um, and then the coaching kind of takes all that and we go way Even more into the depth next and level. it's really yeah. personal and we set up plans. And then, of course, on the other side of having the baby, we check in. How's it going? What do we need to tweak? What went well? You know, so you've basically got that support from the pregnancy all the way through having the baby. And, and that's the thing I like about the coaching specifically is like a workbook is so great and so important in the lead up. But at the end, you're like, and now I just really wish I could talk to someone and see like, did that work? Um, and the coaching is just such a great opportunity to check in. Get her book. It's oh, it's amazing. on Amazon. Amazon. Yep. It's on Amazon and on our website under the shop tab. So futurefocusparenting.com. Go to the shop tab and you can find it there. But it's really helpful stuff. So I'm so glad you got to share with everyone because you're just a wealth of knowledge about this. And I think having like Insta family with two babies at once made you extra equipped to talk to other people about this because you literally were in the trenches. It's not just speaking philosophically. I mean, you've lived this. Yeah, very much so. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you again. And I'm really happy to say that I found out We even have pop culture on our side, Kira, because there is actually a quote out there. I'm going to share a different one today about preparing, but I just had to tell you this, and I thought our listeners would think it was fun, that actually Usher has even said, it's my philosophy that I'm raising future adults, not children. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, we have have pop culture on our side. So we're not the only ones saying, hey, think about the future. Think about who they're going to be. And there are so many good quotes on preparing and planning. I actually had like a treasure trove to choose from. It was so fun. One of my favorites, I'm going to tell you the one I actually picked in a minute, but one of my favorites I came across was by Abraham Lincoln that said, if you give me six hours to chop down a tree, I'm going to spend the first four sharpening the axe. And I was like, I love that. Get your tools ready. And this is what you're talking about, right? Get those tools ready. Have your toolbox full of great tools you can use. But of course, I couldn't resist going with an alliterative quote, which means all the words start with the same letter, in case you were wondering. So here it is, and it is by Stephen Keeg. Proper preparation prevents poor performance. Quote of the day. It's awesome, and a a plosive plosive bundle of joy. All kinds of peas. (laughs) I love it. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening. And please do remember, if you haven't yet, to follow us. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Future Focused Parenting and at Raising Adults Podcast. If you have a question about something Kira shared or a follow-up, please send those our way. We love to do spin cycles and tackle listener questions. We really appreciate those. Or if you just have comments for us, you can reach us at info at futurefocusedparenting.com. Raising Adults is produced by Kira Dorian and Dina Thayer and recorded in my laundry room. Music by Seattle band Hannah Lee. Thanks for listening.